Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 199. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Freaky Magazine. I contribute material to every issue, so give it a try. Hey kids, have you read Freaky? The magazine of weird humor for freaks like you. Freaky Magazine is a way out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. 52 pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Plop, and Zap. Special offer for Fun Ideas listeners, get a free sample copy in the mail, made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old-fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to the Slow Poisoner gmail.com that's the slow poisoner at gmail.com while supplies last on sale now is Mark Arlo's latest book called Pac-Man the first animated show based upon a video game this book tells the story of Pac-Man phenomenon and goes through the entire history of the Hanna-Barbera animation studios the history of the video game Pre-Pac-Man, the history of Pac-Man, the character, the video game, the spin-offs, the merchandise, and the anime TV series. Each and every episode of the classic 1980 series is covered and examined. Plus, Mark Arnold covers how Pac-Man has been honored on various anniversaries, including the 40th anniversary in 2021. A fun read for casual and hardcore Pac-Man and video game fans alike, featuring many character model sheets and other images. Available online through Bear Manor Media, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Get your copy today. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by PopOptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. Stars of Walt Disney Productions is my latest book, Out Now. I just turned in the manuscript for Not Just Happy Together, the Turtles A to Z, from AM Radio to Zappa. It's a book I've been co-writing with Charles Rosnay. I'm doing the final edits and photo selection of my Mad Book, and that will be turned in next. I'm also working on my TV cartoons at Time Forgot book, plus articles on Nightmare, The Galloping Ghost, and Harvey Superheroes. On today's show, we have the artist, writer, and creator of Mr. Monster. He also worked on Elric and compiled a book about tops. 
Here he is, Michael T. Gilbert. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to another edition of Fun Ideas Podcast. And today I have a man who is a, an illustrator, and uh, I don't know if you write, I guess you write too, yes. but you <laughs> you wrote a book at least, and we'll talk yes. about that. <laughs> so, uh, and many, many other things, your fan, everything else. And uh, here he is, Michael T. Gilbert. How are you? Doing fine. All right. Good to be here. Well, thank you very much. So... You reached out to me just because you were interested in my Harvey Comics companion. So, and then I realized, oh, this gentleman's done a lot of stuff. I should probably have him on my podcast. So, well, here, I was, here, before here, that, even to get the uh, your crack books, I picked up a couple of those too. Oh, okay. And you know, it's like you've been around forever. It seems like, and you've done a little of everything. So, um, I guess the best thing is uh, tell me how you kind of got your start in the business. It looks like you started like in the underground uh, kind of world first. Is that correct? Yeah, I started that. Um, you know, I was um, trying to break into the mainstream comics. I went to DC and talked to a couple of people a couple of times back and um 71 or 72 and uh, got nowhere um had interviews with james warren two or three times and uh back in again 71 or so and came close to selling a one pager for their creepy loathsome lord didn't quite do it um and sent some stuff to when i was in college i sent some uh did some a story or two and sent it to the to the undergrounds and um there was um the printman had a, a yellow dog comics and the, uh, the woman who was editing the thing at that time said she loved the story. I'd love to use it, but they've discontinued the, the comics. So <laughs> I was out of luck again. Mm -hmm. um, but my, I was going to uh, state university of new Paltz, upstate New York. Um, this was around 1972, uh, 73. And I was doing cartoons for their, uh, their school paper, editorial cartoons and things like that. And um, found out that they were going to be doing um, a comic book, an underground comic book. And I said, well, that sounds great. So I started submitting stories, um, which they liked. And um, they got me to do a cover for it. Um, and then at the end of the year, they didn't do it. And, you know, they said, well... <laughs> And we'll do it next year instead. So, okay, fine. So I kept waiting for another year. And at the end of the year, um, they were about to publish it again. Everything's ready. They have photo stats, they have negatives. They spent the, they spent their, the rest of the budget on a fireworks display at the end of the year. <laughs> and so that was that. So I was really pissed. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> my brains out on this here. So I went there and I, I, I took the negatives and I took it back with me. And I never had any idea of doing publishing, but I said, okay, let's see what this costs to do this. And it was actually something I could afford. I think it was like $600. And I had a student loan and uh, I used that to publish it and um, was selling it door to door at the campus. And uh, got, it's, it was New Paul's Comics number one. So that oh, was 1973, okay. which means this is my 50th anniversary of me getting in print in my comics, uh, comics <laughs> stories. Hmm. So when did uh, those other uh, kind of titles like Slow Death and uh, Bizarre Sex and everything like that come about? Uh, shortly after, um, what happened was um, I graduated uh, 
from uh, school with an art education degree, mm -hmm. which I never planned to use um, at the end of 1973 and um, moved to New York, stayed at my grandmother's house for a couple of months. And again, tried to break into DC and um, Marvel wouldn't even tell me where they were located. They just moved. So um, <laughs> it makes, you, makes you feel wanted. Um, we're moving to avoid him. <laughs> right. Um, and I was running out of money, but uh, I was looking for any kind of art job that I could get. And I found something um, actually a pretty good one. It was at NBC. Um, they had um, the NBC News in New York had a graphics department, um, a place called Visma, right across the street. And I just came in cold. I just happened to walk past there, knock down there, and they gave me a, a part-time job and uh, doing graphics for the news, which I did for some months. Um, then they uh, they got rid of the the people after a few months for some reason. Uh, NBC wanted to do, start their own in-house art department instead of farming it out. Um, so um, I got a job doing a place called Hit Sales, uh, doing keychains, you know, art jobs like that. And it was fine, was fine for about a year. Mm -hmm. And then I got kind of tired of it. You know, it's like, this isn't, this isn't not going to be fun. And one of my friends there had said that he was going to be moving to, um, to California, mm. you know, and again, it had never occurred to me to, to move, to do anything like that. And I said, you know, why not? You know, I'm <laughs> just cause I have no money. <laughs> I'm young. And yes, this and that here. So I moved to California on some old gray, gray bus that does. And yeah, with a, a wood stove inside and you know you sleep on the floor and they go there and mm -hmm. um my roommates at the time said you know before that said are, are you going to los angeles or are you going to san francisco mm. and i didn't even know the difference at that time it's like <laughs> i'll have to say where, where it's going here so oh, it turns out to be in the san francisco area luckily for me because i think that's more my speed mm. um so the idea was that i would go down there and see if i could break into underground comics mm -hmm. uh which was um a great idea, except um, this was in 1975, and the whole underground comics thing had just collapsed at that yeah, point. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, so it was like okay, <laughs> kind of the tail end of it, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, eventually I managed to get a few, you know, jobs here and there. You know, Slow Death, Bizarre Sex, um, uh, eventually American Splendor a few years later. Um, so, you know, my, I started getting my foot in the door and started getting things going. Then you kind of got into the second wave. I, I consider it, you know, it's like the first wave would be the undergrounds that are just trying to be, you know, scandalous and maybe dirty and whatever, you know, whereas mm -hmm. the, the later ones, mid 70s on, especially into the 80s, tried to just be like more serious or straightforward or something. And, and those are the, the ones you tended to do like star reach and quack and things like that that seemed to kind of fall in that latter category more than the former yeah they weren't really underground comics per se they were more um mainstream comics with uh little tits and ass you know yeah. uh indep independent anyway. i guess later right on, you know. <laughs> um but um yeah that was my really my big break because i had gone down to uh to see Mike Friedrich, who was the publisher of Star Reach Publications. He was also a comic book writer of renown. And uh, I had shown him some of my uh, science fiction stuff. I was trying to get into uh, his Star Reach science fiction fantasy book. Right. Mm -hmm. 
and um, there was nothing there that he, he kind of liked it, but nothing that he felt like buying. Mm-hmm. Um, but then a couple of weeks later, a week or so later, I got a call from him saying that they're starting up this new comic book called Quack, a funny animal comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the contributors had, had uh, flaked out at the last minute and they had a, a big hole in there. Mm-hmm. Um, their bad fortune was my good fortune. And I think he said, have you ever done funny animals before? And I said, yeah, I'm great at that kind of stuff, which I had never done a funny animal comic in my life. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fake it till you make it sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and um, I went home and I came up over a weekend with a character that I thought uh, I could use a, a funny animal version of the spirit, Will Eisner's spirit called the Wraith. Mm. And that gave me a, a starting point that I could work with. And, right. And I went from there. Mm-hmm. Now, growing up, I'll kind of backtrack a little bit. So mm-hmm. were you, uh, they always say the Wraith is kind of inspired by the spirit, Will Eisner's sure. spirit. And that's mm-hmm. correct. Okay. Um, but uh, if you, even if you didn't do it before, were you inspired by, say, the Donald Duck stories or even the Harvey stories or, you know, Little Lulu mm-hmm. or anything else uh, while growing up, even if your style didn't necessarily fit into that initially? Or did yeah, well, it? I, you know, I know that's a convoluted question. but Yeah, well, I, 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 I you know, I was a comic book maniac from you know the age of you know six or seven when my grandmother gave my first comic mm-hmm. um and i would read anything um and the walt disney comics and stories were super popular back mm-hmm. in the 50s this is you know this is the you know 56 57 58 um so my grandmother worked at uh, at a hospital montefiore hospital in um in the Bronx and in the children's ward, they had comic books. And so she would take them, you know, and, and, and give them to me. Um, so since those were so popular, I wound up getting a lot of Walt Disney comics and stories and Donald Luck and Uncle Scrooge and this and that here. Uh, my real passion was the superheroes, this Batman and Superman, uh, the Marvel monster comics and this and that here. But I, I really did like the, the, the Disney comics. Mm-hmm. Um, I was remembering that one of the early comics that I um, I did request for my grandmother, um, I picked that there. I had a copy of Casper comics, and they had advertised the first issue of Hot Stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, that was as close as horror as I could get. This was <laughs> after the Comics Code had come in, right. and they probably got rid of any any comics that uh, that were older that had a you know Tales from the Crypt. Anything was really brutal. They took tossed it out before they even showed it to the kids so i never got any of that stuff but um uh, she brought me back the uh copy of hot stuff and i thought it was really cool looking you know with all of the flames and all this other stuff mm-hmm. so yeah i mean this stuff is you know i absorbed all that stuff mm-hmm. um and, now how did you it, see the spirit if that was the inspiration for the race i mean was that mm-hmm. being published at that time i thought it was only a newspaper insert or maybe my history is escaping yeah. me yeah no it was a, it was a comic, newspaper comic book comic book in a newspaper okay, okay. so you just see that eight in. pages okay. or 16 pages but i didn't see those this oh. is before my time <laughs> okay um that was from about 1940 to 1952 and i was born in 1951 so you know the late 50s were when i started reading comics um but there was a, a comic company called iw comics and they did unauthorized often reprints uh, of golden age comics yeah. 
And I got my hands on a, on a couple of reprints of police comics with Plastic Man and the Spirit. And I fell in love with that stuff. I see. Okay. Um, <laughs> so that was my first introduction to, to that. See, I'm a little bit younger. So, you know, my introduction to the Spirit is Warren Magazine's republishing them in the early 70s. So, yeah, those are and, terrific. I was and, thrilled to uh, you know, already Kitchen Sink had them and Harvey had them for a couple issues and things mm-hmm. like that. So, I mean, and it was on the cover of the Price Guide in the mid 70s. So, you know, I was mm-hmm. aware of it that way. But, you know, there's a long time I know it kind of was you had to kind of be in the know or something because it wasn't being published anywhere or if you just happen to have back issues or something like that. Yeah, I mean, the, the first really uh, large uh, taste of uh, Will Eisner stuff was uh, when the Harvey Spirits came out in 1965, 66. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were double-sized issues reprinting some of the best spirit stories from the 1940s and 50s. Mm-hmm. And it was just astounding stuff. And I've talked to lots of um, creators that saw those issues and were just knocked out and inspired and were showing what you could do with comic books. It didn't have to be a kid's medium. It could be well-written, well-drawn, the storytelling. And you could tell it in seven pages. You had seven-page stories and it was just beginning, middle, and end characterization, full-page splash. Um, that would pull you right into it. as like a poster for the story. Mm-hmm. So that was what I was trying to do when I started doing The Wraith. Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to just um, just straight out copy Eisner, but, but get the spirit of the spirit, which is to say mm-hmm. I was trying to write different types of stories, each issue with the, with the character. It would be a, a slapstick one issue, and it would be a, a love story, and, right. you know, which is what Eisner was doing back in the, in the 40s. Mm-hmm. It was just amazing stuff. And were you trying to emulate his uh, Eisner's layouts and things like that? Because yeah, I was definitely ultra creative that. with how he laid out, like even the letters of the spirit. Sometimes they would go, you know, vertically. Sometimes, you know, they'd right. be like hanging laundry or something. It's something different than just the spirit, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I would absolutely uh, do that. That's one of my favorite things of of Eisner. So I I incorporated a full page splash with each of my stories, mm-hmm. uh, incorporating the lettering. Uh, inside that stuff even did my own lettering throughout those stories um not not necessarily the greatest letterer but at least it was expressive which is you know which i was shooting for now did eisner ever see your work and did he ever comment on it yes um when i finished um it, the, the series got canceled after six issues mm-hmm. um and then i started doing some work for uh um Mike Friedrich's science fiction magazine, Imagine and Science Star Reach. Mm-hmm. Um, but after the six issues finished, um, I sent, well, um, all six issues, um, sending him and saying, you know, I, was, I wasn't trying to rip you off, Will, but, you know, I was just really <laughs> inspired by this. I hope you like it. And he wrote me a very nice letter back saying he liked it and he drew a little spirits and story. And by an interesting coincidence, um, he was working on his gr- first new graphic album, A Contract with God. And he was just doing, I hadn't heard anything about it, but I just heard he was doing this. As it turned out, I was doing a story about Jews in space for, for Imagine Comics, A Dream of Milk and Honey. Uh, so I sent him some copies of that. And he was very enthusiastic because, you know, it was the same sort of material. So we sort of came at the same, the same place at the same time. So it was yeah, I guess I absorbed enough of, of Will Eisner's <laughs> to have some of that too. 
did you remain friends or just casual acquaintance? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I know we had a correspondence, and then eventually um, um, he had moved to um, a, a one time when he was in um, teaching the School of Visual Arts. Um, I had moved away. Uh, I was in California, and I came and visited, and he asked me to speak to his class, and I spoke to his class. Very nice. And uh, again, we kept corresponding, and um, uh, I visited his, when he moved to Cal, to, um, to Florida, Tamarack, Florida, um, I visited him two or three times with my wife, and uh, again, very nice guy, and yeah. very enthusiastic, and mm -hmm. you know, he, I, get, I got to see the graphic novel he was working on at various oh, times. Yeah. So that was kind of a thrill. Yeah, the only time I ever saw him was him roaming around uh, San Diego Comic Convention. And in, mm -hmm. usually he was pretty busy running off to something, so you really couldn't talk to him too much. But, you know, well, I've, I've seen him at some some yeah. somewhat smaller conventions. And I was yeah. really impressed that he would you know take the time to actually get away from his table, go and talk to uh, different uh, newcomers and creators and comment on their work and you yeah. know just chat with them just really nice guy yeah i've heard that before you know that he was doing that which is kind of how he got affiliated with dennis kitchen and stuff like that which you would think that that would be an odd alliance but you know they're mm -hmm. what i've heard very similar in how you know they're entrepreneurial and they try to do things their own way so you know mm -hmm. so kind of worked out um Let's see. Another person you worked with, and you mentioned the series already, American Splendor uh, with Harvey mm -hmm. Picard. Uh, right. How did that come about? So I'm just kind of curious. Um, well, I was, you know, as a big fan of underground comics in general, I had a pretty large collection, uh, such and such. And um, when he came out with about 1976, 75 or 76, I forget, with the first issue of American Splendor, I thought it was a really neat comic. And um, at some point, so I think with the fourth issue, third, fourth issue, um, I wrote him a sort of a fan letter. And I said, you know, and I, I kind of, I liked what you were doing here, but there was a one page story that I thought the artwork really got just missed out with what you were trying to do, you know? So I said, why don't you do the one pagers, which I did. And uh, he liked it. And um, uh, in one of the next issues, there was supposed to be some stories that Bob Crumb was supposed to illustrate. Well, he flaked out. <laughs> and so they thought that my style might be able to to, to fake it. So I, I did a few stories like that. Very cool. Yeah, I was always wondering how, I mean, I know him and Crumb were good friends, but, you know, how it branched off from there. I guess it's just how you say, write him a letter saying, hey, I like your stuff. And suddenly you're yeah. working on it, I guess, you know. Sometimes that works. I mean, yeah. you know, just just genuinely uh, writing. You know, I just want, you know, I wasn't really looking for work. I just wanted to say, you know, I, I like what you're doing here. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you've worked on a lot of different things. Now, at, at this point, um, were you still exclusively doing independent stuff or uh, underground stuff, or were you already getting into like uh, DC and stuff like that? Uh, no, I was at this stage of the game, I was still working in independent comics, not for lack of trying to, uh, you know, right. if, if DC had come to me and said, we'd like you to do a project, I would have said, sure, but mm -hmm. uh, that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was in California, they were in New York, and it was, mm -hmm. you know, there wasn't much uh, overlap there in, mm -hmm. in, in general. So was your um, next big project in Elric, or am I jumping things around? Yeah, or? that's pretty much the next thing here. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, so I was working for first star reach like i say on imagine um 
and uh, Starreach and and Starreach went under. Uh, Mike overextended himself and this and that here. So he became uh, a reinvented himself. He was first he started working for Marvel, selling you know in their um, uh, showing them how to sell comics and this and then behind the scenes that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he he started uh, becoming a an agent for comic book writers and artists and creators. Mm-hmm. And uh, at some point, Pacific Comics was just starting one of the, what became one of the, the bigger uh, alternative publishers right. um, from San Diego, I believe. And they decided they wanted to do an Elric comic book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Craig had done a Marvel um, version. Craig Russell had done a, a, um, an Elric graphic novel for marvel and they decided let's see if we can do um get him to do a a series an elric series for us well craig was interested but he felt it you know would just be too time consuming to do by himself Mm. um and he said well maybe i can uh work with somebody else and mike suggested how about mike gilbert Um, and as it had turned out i had done uh, one of one of the little projects i had done um, Dennis Kitchen had published um, a jam issue of The Spirit with about 50 different creators. Yeah. <laughs> so I did a three-page sequence with The Spirit, and it was very detailed and you know, really polished. You know, I spent a lot of time on it. Is that well? Craig saw that and thought, yeah, this might work. You know, it looked good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only the only thing was he wanted to work with me there, so I would have to move to uh ohio uh, i was living in texas at that point with uh okay. with my first wife and um uh, the marriage broke up and suddenly you know unexpectedly on my part um and uh i got this offer to go down to ohio and i said hey what a great way to reinvent myself you know just get away from all this stuff uh this would be my big break i'd never done a color comic book before uh, this was, you know, the big time as, as far as I was concerned. And so I, you know, put everything in a, you know, stored some things and moved down there and mm-hmm. um, started working uh, with Craig on Elric. And uh, <laughs> it was very intimidating because, you know, we, we know how uh, brilliant Craig Russell is. You know, his, his stuff is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, my advantage has been that I have a bit of humor, which I, th- I think added to this series. And I have um, great many styles that I work at. I can do funny animal comics. I can do, it turns out, superhero comics and uh, sword and sorcery. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to sort of merge my style with, with Craig's. Hmm. So ultimately, how many, how long? How many years and how many issues did you do together? Uh, Craig and I did about uh, six issues over two years. Okay. Uh, very labor-intensive stuff. We were doing the coloring, all, all that material. And it was full color at a time that there wasn't very much full color comics out there. So we were really uh, just experimenting, trying to make this make this work. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I told the story before, but there was... Um, we got these things called gray lines for the coloring. After we finished it, they would photograph it, uh, do it at comic book size. They would be, um, the black line would be on uh, an 
an ac clear acetate, and there would be a light gray version of it that you would use as a color guide. You'd color it and, you know, this now. Well, middle of the winter, we're doing, starting to do this, and somehow they didn't size it properly. So it wasn't, it wasn't holding the colors. It would blob up. Oh. And, you know, and the deadline is coming up in a couple of weeks, you know, or a few weeks. And we're just thinking, what are we doing? And we had this this terrible diner called Jerry's Diner in uh, in, in Kent, Ohio. And instead of sitting there about, you know, at night and freezing cold. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? <laughs> this is going to just blow up in my face. Um, unfortunately, I was able to figure out that uh, this might not work, but as a temporary thing, I was able to... Um, uh, get them redu reduced Xeroxes on some uh, cardboard stock. Mm. And I col we colored that for the first couple of issues. Later on, we went back and did it the proper way. And they finally, you know, get some of the bugs out. But, you know, I assumed that every, you know, we're working with uh, Pacific Comics. They must know what they're doing. You know, there's Craig <laughs> Russell, this and that. Here. Nobody knew. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll have to fake this one. I guess we're pioneers. So, okay. We'll do, we'll do that. Mm. <laughs> wow um and did that just that series just basically end because pacific comics kind of ended or no 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 um we adapted the first um michael moorcock graphic okay. uh, uh novel into it was planned to be a six issue series oh i see okay okay and then craig had other things he didn't want to continue there was going to be a second book um mm. adapting the uh, the second uh book um and by this time it uh, pacific comics had gone and first comics had had taken over first mm. I, I keep working with these companies that go collapsing but right. uh, pacific went under and first comics came and they took over the title and they asked me if i wanted to stay on um and in the first one craig had been doing the layouts and such well by the second time i was doing the layouts and you know going to the book and deciding you know what how we're going to tell this uh, visually mm. and uh, they suggested working with George Freeman mm. uh, whose work I loved and I thought that was great so eventually we did um, six issues six seven issues of uh, adapting that and it, it looked very nice and then they asked me to do a third one I did a third one with George again mm -hmm. um, so I wound up doing um, three different stories three different uh, graphic novel adaptations okay. Now that makes more sense. See, originally when I asked him, you said we did six issues. I was saying, surely there is more, but I didn't realize, you know, it was all adaptations of the novels. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, okay, because <laughs> well, it's kind of nice to have a finite thing like that instead of just the, you know continuing, you know, any any Marvel or DC comic or you know these things or they some... just go on forever. This continual <laughs> soap opera that never or, ends, or some mega thing like Cerebus the Aardvark or something. Three right. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> so, um what I have different things listed uh, with with the next thing that you did or uh be uh working uh at DC or Disney or what or is it just a little bit of everything all at the same Well, the, the next time? thing was um working on Mr. Monster. Oh, I'm skipping that, of course. Yeah. Yes. Just <laughs> <laughs> your most famous thing. Oops. <laughs> right. All right, well, go ahead. Mr. Monster turned out to be uh, was my signature character over the years, oh, uh, yes. doing off and on for you know forty years basically, mm -hmm. um, different miniseries and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, what had happened is that um, 
Pacific Comics had been doing this uh, anthology title called uh, Vanguard Illustrated. Hmm. And they would get, they would team up a new artist or writer with a with an established writer or artist and they work on stories together. It was an anthology title. Anyway, Craig and I had finished the, the first um, graphic, Elric graphic novel and we hadn't started with uh, George yet. And I had uh, a couple of months in between and uh, my agent wanted to keep me busy. So he said, would you like to do, uh, come up with a character that would appear in Vanguard Illustrated? Hmm. And uh, I said, yeah. So um, I was trying to decide what to do, you know, what kind of character, you know, there's one of these things where you had to come up with it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once again, like I came to my comic collection for inspiration and mm-hmm. uh, years earlier, back in about 1971 or so, I had been at New York comic convention mm-hmm. and found this coverless comic um, with this character, Mr. Monster. It was a Canadian comic as I later found out. Yeah. And I thought just the coolest character. He was just this monster fighting superhero, just really just, you know, single-minded. I just hate monsters. And I was thinking, <laughs> you know, that's something I, I haven't seen around. You know, there wasn't too much mixing of superheroes and horror. Nowadays, you see, um, you know, Hellboy and, you know, a million other things like that. Right. You know? Uh, back then, maybe the Spectre, but that was, you know, or, or Dead Man. But there, there wasn't too much of that sort of thing. And I said, what if I updated, you know, reinvented this character, this Mr. Monster. And uh, for, you know, for the 80s, 1986, 80, 80, 83 is when I started working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I pitched it and they liked it. Um, there was another cartoonist, um, Bill Loeb's, who had a very Will Eisner um, style. And I thought this would be a, a great way to uh, get the kind of feel that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so... The, the plan was that I would do uh, scripting and rough pencils mm. and colors and mm. Bill would do the finished uh, pencils and inks. And uh, we started doing that. We, it was going to be three issues in Vanguard Illustrated 7, 8, and 9. Mm-hmm. Well, true to form, um, we came out with uh, issue 7 with the chapter 1 of my story, our story, mm-hmm. and uh, Pacific collapsed. <laughs> Pacific died once again. So uh, great. So we had you know three issues. You know the, the whole story finished. Yeah. Um, and I found out about this. Um, I, I was I started I had started uh, dating uh, uh, the person who was now my wife, Janet uh, mm-hmm. Janet Clark back then, Janet Gilbert now, mm-hmm. and um, we were going to be going to. Uh, tired of uh, the freezing cold winters in Ohio. Let's go to um, let's go to uh, California again. You know, mm-hmm. isn't that so? We're on our way. I was just about to go on our way when I found out that Pacific Comics had collapsed. <laughs> you know, it's this. No, this is this is wonderful. Let's see. If, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't have a job now, but let's continue going there. Mm-hmm. But um, Mike uh, Friedrich, uh, luckily, had uh, gone and it was able to. Um, to place, uh, Mr. To convince them that uh, the Eclipse Comics, a new company, mm-hmm. um, how about trying a one-issue Mr. Monster comic? You know, taking all three chapters, um, and they did, and uh, it seemed popular. And uh, they said, "Let's do a continuing series," and we went from there. Hmm. Seems like Eclipse rescued a lot of Pacific's things, like Sergio Aragonés grew and. 
I think they did the final episode, uh, final issues of Twisted Tales and things like that. They were all yeah, they were doing a lot of that yeah, stuff. But... Yeah, so yeah. Ray for Eclipse. <laughs> now, where were they based out? I don't remember. I re- you know, uh, Greenville, California. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And um, so, backing up a little bit on on the creation of Mister Monster, you you know, you revealed something I didn't know because the, mm-hmm. it just says, "Oh, you based it on uh, this character that Fred Kelly did," but it didn't say, mm-hmm. you know, how you came about. You know, because you know, earlier in our discussion, you're saying, "Well, I." didn't have you know access to old issues when you're younger you know and then later i guess you became more of a collector so how did you happen upon this particular coverless comic and well i've always been a collector um but then i started uh, i went to my first comic book convention mm-hmm. in 1968 one of the new york uh, they call them suling cons Phil right, Suling right, was right. Putting them on. <laughs> um and you know i was just you know just thrilled to be you know it was so hard to find you know, golden age comics. I found uh, some beforehand so by um, um, trading with some some comic fans who had a few golden age things. So I got, you know, I started getting some golden age, but mm-hmm. and a, a couple of DC comics and this and that here. But when I finally went to the Suling Con, I got to see, uh, you know, the rooms filled with these old comic books. And of course, um, I had very little money, so I would go for the ones that had, you know, bad conditions or coverless or, you know, <laughs> quantity over quality. But, you know, I was, you know, always trying to get you know, the more that I could read and really study these things here. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, the, the first comic convention I was what, at that 1968 Suling Con, mm-hmm. saw this new kid out there at, uh, at one of the lectures that people had gone and it was a panel and he was just sitting here and showing his stuff here. Mm-hmm. And the few of us are getting around looking at this stuff. It was the, it was Bernie Wrightson and oh, he was just wow. a kid and he was yeah. just showing his stuff. He had this thing called uncle Bill's barrel hmm. and it was just phenomenal. We, we you know, just knew this guy. And this was the convention where he met DC and, and, and started his, his career and uh, mainstream career. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so in one of those conventions, that was the 68, but 1971, um, I had gone to you know the conventions looking around, mm-hmm. and right at the end of the convention, uh, we went to some um, some area there. They had this big wooden bin filled with mostly coverless comics from the golden age. You know, a few Supermans from 1948, uh, and they were going for like fifty cents or a dollar each. And <laughs> I saw you know, a couple of issues of this coverless thing with Mr. Monster. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is kind of interesting, you know. So I plunked out a couple of bucks, got them both, um, and some other titles and such. And, you know, every so often I take them out and I say, mm-hmm. someone should really revive this guy. He's right. really good. You know, <laughs> but, you know, I forgot about it mm-hmm. until I was looking through my comic collection in Kent, Ohio. Um, mm-hmm. And I said, wow, why not? Now, I haven't seen the original. Is your version of Mr. Monster exactly like Fred's was, or are you just kind of were inspired just kind of more like the Wraith and Spirit um, thing? It's similar. Um, he, he's uh, Fred Kelly's uh, Mr. Monster was slender. You know, I wanted him really bulked up like you know, a big uh, wrestler, you know, sort of thing <laughs> here. Yeah. Um, um, he, 
I have two M's on this insignia. He just had a squiggle and then it was one uh, holster. I put two holsters. I changed his costume a little bit and this and that. There. You know, I just, and I changed the, he was Doc Stern, S-T-E-A-R-N-E. And I made him Doc Stern, S-T-E-A-R-N, you know, again, so I could, you know, copyright these things. And, you know, just in case anything sh- showed up, this and that here. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, you can inspire later. Later on, I re um, uh, revealed, though I hadn't had at the time, that that was his father. You know, sort of integrated the the two. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, now, another thing you found out later on is that it, Fred Kelly was still alive, and you hadn't known that. I mean, what what did how did that make you feel, or uh, were you happy and you tried to reach out to him? I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was, you know, no one had heard from Fred Kelly. He got out of comics that one of the last things he did was that little seven, eight page Mr. Monster story in this mm. comic called Super Duper Comics, which I later found out was what it was. Again, it didn't have a cover, so I didn't know for, for a long time. <laughs> um, and um, and someone said, did some digging, um, someone I was corresponding with, and they found Fred Kelly. And I was thrilled that, that they had discovered him for one thing i i wanted to you know give him some money because i've been using his idea even though he didn't you know it was you know work for hire he didn't have any any rights to it per se for the company went his company bell publishing went under right about the same time that's why he got out of comics yeah. nobody knew what happened to him you know we figured you know he's probably been dead for years right um turns out he was um uh, he had gotten into a medical illustration for a few years and then got into real estate and was very successful with that. Um, but the person who found out was putting out the, uh, connected with the Toronto comic convention and they invited him to be there with a number of other uh, Canadian golden age cartoonists. Mm. And they asked me if I wanted to be on a panel with him. Wow. Um, now, ordinarily it would have been uh too expensive for me to go down there. You know, it's just, you know, it was one of my, you know, have high points and low times when you're, you're selling and sometimes you're just not. And uh, that was one of the low times. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were living in, in Oregon at that time. So <laughs> you jumped all over the place. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was in Texas also. So, yeah, I've been, for someone who doesn't like to move, I should be <laughs> moving a lot. But as it happened, we were visiting. Uh, my wife Janet's parents in in Ohio, in Ravenna, Ohio, um, and just about the same time that the comic convention, by sheer coincidence, was going on, mm-hmm. and it was like a, you know a three or four hour drive, so we were able to go there, mm-hmm. see him. I met him. I was able to give him a check. We were on a um, on a panel together. Um, uh, before I went there, I sent him a, a box with uh, a, a collection of all the Mr. Monster stuff I had done, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I was hoping that he wouldn't uh, be offended or, you know, this or that here. <laughs> what did you do to my character? No, I don't know. <laughs> well, the, the, one of the things I, I, I found funny, uh, the character started out as a Doc Savage knockoff called Doc Stern, and he mm-hmm. was like Doc Savage. Well, right at the end, they were desperate to see if they could, you know, salvage this company that was going under. So we had Doc Stern as Mr. Monster, and he puts on a costume, and he's fighting monsters, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the company went under. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had breakfast, you know, with him and his wife. 
Um, my wife and I had breakfast and it was a nice thing there. And I said, do you, you know, what do you, what can you tell me about, you know, coming up with Mr. Monster? He didn't remember he even did Mr. Monster. It was one little seven page story that he did, you know, 50, 60, 50 years early, six years earlier. Um, you know, he probably spent about a week working on that story or part of a week. You know, no, no reason to particularly remember that thing, especially since he got out of uh, um, the field shortly after. So I thought it just, it's just kind of astonished me, you know, what a great character and, you know, but he didn't have a chance to develop it because the, the company went under before he had a chance to. Yeah. Did his character have any sort of personality or traits or anything, or did you kind of develop that? Oh, no, most of that stuff was my stuff. Yeah. Because I figured, um, you know, most golden age stuff are pretty straightforward. They're not too much. In no, there's, the there's characterizations. No. Well, the, the big difference between the two of us is that um, his had no humor. I mean, it was just straight ahead, dead on, going to come yeah, up, yeah, that's what I figured. Which, which I took, you know, for my Mr. Monster, but, you know, made the circumstances around him bring out the humor by contrast. You know, the fact that he didn't, you know, he was so determined, become pretty funny. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and it, it I, I assume that uh, Fred's version didn't have any sort of elaborate origin or anything like that no no he just you know yeah yeah yeah. but you know one thing that was kind of interesting you know i came up with um mr monster's gal friday you know that was his kelly friday you know you know one of these 1940s hotties um but i i came up with her name because she's kelly fred kelly you know so sort of a tribute to to fred even though i you know years before i knew he was still alive or anything then you know didn't he pass away shortly after that one convention yeah this was 2004 like and about a year later he passed away wow. you know old nut and break he had had a, a stroke before i met him so he was you know kind of frail but yeah. uh he also had this sort of determined look you know you could just see this this is the guy that did, drew the golden age mr monster you know it's just you could see that he was uh <laughs> no nonsense in his day mm-hmm. so generally he was happy with what you did yeah he seemed fine that's cool. Yeah, that would mm-hmm. suck if you would be like, ah, you know. I, well, hate I, I was able to give him a check, which was which was yeah, nice well, too. I'm sure so. that made him very happy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, anyway. mm-hmm. um, so at that point, if you you know, how, how long? It seems like Mister Monster ran pretty successfully for a period of time, but I thought you brought him back like two or three times, if I remember correctly. Uh, a number of times, you know, the yeah. different companies I would work for, they go under. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, I, do, I mean, um, I, I, I kind of equate it with like Guru the Wanderer again because he had a long run at Marvel and then you know mm-hmm. on the Epic line, and then you know now he's been on Dark Horse in his little mini series every so often, you know, things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, all told, how about how many issues have you done? Uh, do you think? Well, I'd, I'd say I did about, um, I'd say close to a thousand pages of, of work, mm. you know, so you mm. know, however you want to divide that. And is there any plans to do any further Mr. Monster adventures or you kind of retired that character? No, no, I've been doing some, uh, some new Mr. Monster stories um, um, on my own right now, mm. but uh, right now I've been trying to put together a Mr. Monster library which is to say collecting all the Mr. Monsters from all these, you know, all these various companies, all right, over the place right. of yeah. all things. Um, and um, in some instances I've been going in here, some things were done in, in co- most of the stuff was in color. 
I've had some stories where I worked for companies that can only be black and white. Well, I went back and now I've been coloring them and mm. computer coloring and such, um, getting some really sharp looking stuff. So it's kind of exciting to me to revisit this stuff. And um, the thing that I find kind of amusing in 2023 is uh, going over the old material which I think still holds up as far as writing and artwork goes, mm-hmm. but the um, the technical aspects of the thing are, are so different. When I started out, uh, we did these gray tones, and these, oh, yeah. you know, these, these gray lines that I was talking about, and blue lines and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I had to go back there and try and, and we had negatives you know, made. And I, I, in a lot of cases, I had saved the negatives for these things. Well, negatives are useless now. You don't use it. <laughs> Um, but I still have the color, uh, in a lot of cases I have the, the, the color guys that I had, so I was able to scan them and, and okay. do like that. Um, and you, you know, spelled I, the original art or is that long gone? Or? I have a lot of, I have a lot of the original art, at least, okay. you know, at least some of the original art. Um, okay. but you know, I made copy, you know, Xeroxes of, of mm-hmm. everything. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I am thrilled that I taught myself how to use Photoshop. Uh, yeah. I can do things with with that that I just could not have done as far as cleaning up negatives and uh, trying different color schemes if if it seemed appropriate. You know, it's mm-hmm. just you know, just nice to be able to to sharpen all this stuff up and blacken the blacks and do all sorts of stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I started off. Um in my own publishing world in high school this is in the 80s mm-hmm. uh yeah we we're still doing everything by hand so i was on the tail end of all that stuff so i learned how to use zipatone and you know the lines and everything that you mm-hmm. had to cut with exacto knives and everything and it's like all that stuff's kind of useless now but it's like i know the techniques you know but right. it, it, it's handy in talking to somebody like yourself who actually did it you know right. so you know i i know exactly what you're talking about when you're saying well some, some of these right, things are yeah. just really you know really kind of fascinating when you when you look at it i was doing um i did a cover for imagine and it was um it was my dream of milk and honey jews and space story sort of thing here but anyway i was doing the cover um which i think was one of my first covers um mm-hmm for them but it was full color but i had done it um in four different um pieces of artwork the the red the black the blue the yellow and they'd be pulled together well i did it with airbrush and i was doing other things and they they couldn't afford to do um a test print Mm. so I didn't know if it was going to work out or not. You know, they, they put it all together, you know, with these transparencies and whatnot. Unfortunately, it did largely did work together, but uh, <laughs> it's nerve wracking when you're working there. Nowadays, of course, you just, you know, put it on there, click, 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 but there's the colors. Boom. Yeah, you're work. set. Click, 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 fix. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's the thing I was thinking about, yeah. even with, um, even with Elric, you know, one of the things I was telling you about where, when we're working with the, the gray tones of the gray lines uh, early on, and they weren't holding the colors. Um, I came up with an idea of using airbrush, putting it on a, a frisket paper for clear and cutting out the colors So they would stick down there kind of stuff, but it was mm-hmm. so labor intensive. And if you screwed up, it became a big deal to fix it. Nowadays, if you do something with a color and you don't like the color, you just, and 
let's try blue. Let's try green. Let's try this. Mm-hmm. And it's great. Mm-hmm. So at this point uh, in your career, I guess you were doing Mr. Monster at the same time you did all this other stuff like, you know, you did Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse and Simpsons and Superman mm-hmm. and Batman. That was all kind of at the same time, right? You know, yeah. it seemed mm-hmm. like, because it seems like I've always seen your name pop up in different things over the years, but I didn't know if it was necessarily the same guy, but, you know, you're very versatile. So it's like, well, you know, back yeah, that's, go, that's one thing I'm proud that's of. That's the same yeah. guy. You know? yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, one of the things that, that I'm really proud of is the fact that I have been so versatile. You know, the, the idea that, you know, in 1989, I started writing and laying out um, Disney stories for, uh, uh, first for, um, uh, Disney Adventures. Mm-hmm. My wife uh, Janet has been doing stuff for that also for many years. Um, but I was able to, you know, I, and then I was contacted um, when Disney decided they were going to do their own comic books, their own comic book line for the first time. Okay. Um, I was contacted by the editor uh, David Seidman, who asked me if I'd be interested in working on either Mickey Mouse or um, Roger Rabbit. Uh, they were having a series, and but he based it on the fact that he had seen my Wraith comics, my yeah. funny animal Wraith comic. That was my <laughs> first comic. So suddenly I'm I'm doing you know the the figurehead. I said, okay, let's do Mickey Mouse, and so I was the, really the first person to do Mickey Mouse directly for Disney, as opposed to Dell Comics and uh, Golkey or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you never worked. <clears throat> excuse me, you never worked for. Gemstone or Gladstone or anything like that. It was, it was not directly, but they were. They some of those people reprinted some of the stories. I see. Um, okay, all right. So it, it it did appear in some of their books. And then, did you also work for the European publisher Egmont too? Um, yeah, I was working for them primarily. After I worked there, I started getting working for uh, okay. Egmont or Gutenberg House, as it was yeah. originally known. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and. Uh, I was working for them for well, close to 20 years, just about 20 years. Hmm. Uh, my wife started uh, doing a lot of writing for them also. She worked for about 28 years. Uh, they fired me long before they, there was a, there was a, there was a point where uh, their sales were decreasing um, and uh, they got rid of a lot of their, uh, their freelancers, their, their creators and whatnot. Um, just, to keeping it down to a minimum and yeah. i didn't make the cut unfortunately but uh, as it happened it was about the time i was thinking you know i've been doing this maybe a little too long i want to get back to mr monster and i want to get back to some of these other things yeah. and so it was actually at a good time even though i was a little nerve-wracking suddenly uh, losing your main source of income for many years you mentioned yeah. Seedman. He actually was on this podcast. I had forgotten to mention Seedman was on this oh, podcast mm-hmm. quite a couple of years ago. So, you know, mm-hmm. and we talked about, you know, how he was involved with all these Disney comics. Um, another person was involved with him at the time. Uh, did you work with David Gerstein at all? Or Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, he hasn't been on here, but he's a friend of mine, too. So <laughs> I was right. just kind of curious, you know, how everything kind of connects together. Well, I was there when he first was hired and he was this you know, scared little kid who was uh, right. you know, just <laughs> in the big city for the first time and, mm-hmm. and couldn't quite know how to use a taxi cab and this and that here, but uh, he's, he's, he's done okay for himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew him back when uh, we had uh, uh, 
uh, was known. Here's an archaic term, an APA, you know, Amateur mm-hmm. Press Association. Association, yeah. And it was called WTFB, which stood for Where the Fun Begins. It was focused, <laughs> focused on the Disney afternoon cartoons, but you could really talk about almost anything Disney, which I did. You know, I used to write columns for it, and I'd talk about the cartoons somewhat, but I'd also talk about the parks and, you know, everything, the movies and stuff like that. So, but, mm-hmm. yeah, that's where I first met so it's like as well oh, okay. so. <laughs> mm. um now you, it says when i read that you also work for uh bart simpson or the simpsons comics was that uh, directly for bongo with bill morrison or yeah it was bongo yeah. bill morrison okay. i did a, a few stories for I'm them sure i read those just like i read the disney ones you know but mm-hmm. again not thinking it's the same person you know so right you know. No, that was that was fun and then later on i got uh contacted um um about doing uh some stuff for um uh, spongebob squarepants oh yeah, yeah. Um, and uh that was really a lot of fun i got a chance to do some some characters and i had to do my homework because i hadn't seen much of oh, yeah. spongebob <laughs> so i got to see some of the cartoons and... now typically on the list stuff were you writing or drawing or both or both was... usually. Oh, okay yeah. okay so mm-hmm. i'll have to go back and look i mean it's all in the yeah. boxes in the other room i just well, don't it, remember yeah. <laughs> you know right. well and, and before yeah. then you know i had also been able to uh do a few uh things for mainstream i did a, a superman graphic novel that i wrote and illustrated and colored um and a batman um legends of the dark knight issue again i got a chance to write and draw and color uh the issue um so that was a thrill because i grew up with superman and batman and what was the superman and, one what was it just called superman or have... it was called uh man and superman and it's, oh i uh, remember that okay yeah. all right that m-a-n-n cool. and it was a yeah. guy uh, it had a kind of a cute little premise. It was this guy, Marty Mann, mm-hmm. who was uh, this small time crook with this, you know, little, you know, 10 <laughs> year old kid that he was raising. And he's just a bitter and he's just jealous of Superman. This guy's got everything. He was born on Krypton. He can, the girls all go crazy about him. Well, he gets this magic little, uh, little stone at some point that mm-hmm. switches his brains with Superman. And suddenly he's Superman. And Superman is this you know, in this tenement with this kid and, you know, no money and just hated. The premise was to see how would they eventually wind up? You know, mm-hmm. does it take more than just being born on a planet to make you a, a hero? Mm-hmm. But I'm very proud of that one. Mm-hmm. So now you're finally working for the big two. I mean, I think you did a Doctor Strange. Uh, right, it was, uh, yeah, that was just about the only Marvel thing I okay, did. The, okay. sort of but you did. So, I mean, how did those come about? Was it just luck or did they finally see your stuff from el- elsewhere and say um i like think, this guy let's bring him in <laughs> he's done well, i think that's when I, I talked to uh, tom revort at um uh, at marvel he's he's a really uh really good guy uh a fan of old comics and whatnot so i pitched him um um an idea i think you know it was a little difficult because they were having this anthology title called uh uh, Marvel double shot. They would have two stories from the different Marvel characters. And I would say, you know, how about I do a, a short Spider-Man story? No, Joe Schmo's doing Spider-Man. How about this? No, he's doing it. Who's <laughs> so, so I finally got the idea. Go down of the ladder. It. Oh, Dr. Strange. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, well, I was, a, I'm a huge Steve Ditko fan. And yeah, of course yeah. the Steve Ditko, uh, 
um, <laughs> Doctor Strange and, you know, written by Stan Lee. So I came up with a, a Doctor Strange story that was sort of an amalgam of uh, Stan Lee and mm-hmm. he did go back and then, but my own, through my own vision. And mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun with that one too. Mm-hmm. Now on the DC ones you just mentioned, uh, how did you get into there? Who did you contact there? That you? Oh, uh, that one was one of the, it, it's funny because usually you know, it's been my experience if I go to, comic conventions and I'm desperate and I'm looking for work and this that never works. Right. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it worked. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> so I was down there and my wife was down there and she was walking around talking and she's talked to, um, uh, I think Joey Cavallari, um, one of the editors at DC and he looked at my work, like my work. And uh, he said, you know, give him, you know, let him try, you know, send me a pitch and let's see what we got here. And I went through about five or six different things before we finally got one that he liked. And uh, so that's where that came from. Very cool. And that led to the Batman, you know, this and that. So I, oh. I haven't done a ton of it, but I've done stuff that I've been very happy with. And, right. You know, but and, I'm just kind of curious about it because, you know, that was your initial intention, but it took a long time to get there. Mm-hmm. But hey, better late than never, you know, if that's one of your well, yeah, I mean, really, list I type mean, items, you know, work for Marvel, work for DC, work for, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. I've had, uh, I've had this discussion with uh, my late friend, uh, Batten Lash, who does Wolf, oh, yeah, and, yeah. Wolf and Bird Supernatural Law. Mm-hmm. And we were talking, and he, he had the same thing where he was trying to get to DC and Marvel and wouldn't give him the time of day this and that year right. and we both agree you know we're, we're lucky we didn't get that we we created our own characters that we own yeah you know again this was the lesson that Will Eisner taught us you know he has the spirit he owns the spirit he, right. he probably has um the spirit has probably appeared as, as many companies as, as Mr. Monster has but right. uh um he owned them so he can he can move them as he wanted to whereas if you get you get you fall in love with uh, you know, the, your work on the X-Men. Well, they can kick you out of there anytime they want. You don't have any say whatsoever. True. And then you don't, you don't always think, uh, you know, even Dr. Strange, even though you say Ditko, it wasn't always Ditko, you know, it could be anybody, you know, doing it. And so like for Mr. Monster, always think of you for uh, Supernatural Law, always think of that lash you know so mm-hmm. you know it's it really is your baby you know unless you decide to delegate it to somebody else it's like so yeah. is going to now do it well but, that was a nice thing yeah, about yeah. being working for the independents you know that came in the wake of underground comics and then came the ground level comics like you know uh star reach and imagine and quack and then uh the independents you know like uh first comics was doing we're doing a lot of really nice stuff like uh uh, Steve Rude and uh, Mike Barron's Nexus series, just you know, amazing stuff. And uh, yeah. you know, Greg also got to do his uh, his various opera adaptations and Jungle Book adaptations. Beautiful, beautiful work. Mm-hmm. Now you're also kind of a historian. I'm mm-hmm. seeing now. Um, was that always the case, or just kind of evolved over time? Because you just kind of acquired a knowledge of being in the industry and collecting old issues and things like that. Well, I've always, yeah, I've always been fascinated with uh, comic book history. You know, I can, mm-hmm. I can remember when I was like eight or nine years old. You know, I got an issue of Sad Sack. <laughs> you know, and I was just curious, how old is this? And I saw the indicia. Right. And it said, you know, 1957 or whatever. But then it said at the bottom, you know, it patented in uh, 1930. And I was like, well, is it 1930 or is it 1957? You know, so I was 
even then I was asking, you know, about history. Right. Um, and, you know, I kept reading everything I could uh, with fanzines and, you know, mm. things here. And one of the things I was doing with, um, when I was doing my Mr. Monster series is I had a spinoff called the Mr. Monster Super Duper Specials, mm. where I would reprint the best golden age comics, uh, Jack Cole's true crime comics, Jerry Grant and Eddie's Dr. Drew. Um, and I would write the background notes for that stuff. So that's really where I started. This was about 1986, 87. Um, <laughs> Bob Howell's Victoria. Um, so that uh, was when I was going on, but I, I got hooked. Uh, yeah, I've been doing Alter Ego magazine. I have a column in there, um, right. Mr. Monsters Comic Crypt, which I've been doing, good Lord, about 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> And with everything else I've done here, it's mostly an accident. You know, <laughs> um, one of the things I was doing, um, I was in at the University of, uh, uh, let's see, where was I? In in California, in, in Oregon, rather. We, you know, very very close to where you are. Yeah. Uh, the University of Oregon. They had um, we, Janet found out that they had uh, the Gardner Fox collection in their library. He was the guy that did the Justice Society in the 40s and you know, a lot of you know, famous DC characters back. So I was fascinated by it. I <laughs> uh, was able to get boxes of the stuff and look through it. Some of the, They had some really early action comics and things like that uh, from you know, Gardner Fox's collection. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things he had was a box filled with um, letters that fans had sent him. Mm. And one of those fans who was rather prolific was uh, a kid named Roy Thomas, mm. um, who had just started doing some, some teaching, uh, some college, you know, some teaching uh, English um, back in 1961. Mm. And he was encouraging them to, you know, bring back some of the characters and blah, 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 blah. Well, anyway, I thought this is kind of cool. Why don't I make Xerox of this and send it to Roy? Maybe he'd like to see, you know, his old letters. <laughs> well, by coincidence, I didn't know it at the time. Roy had done uh, Alter Ego magazine, like the fanzine starting in 1981 ended in 19, uh, 1961 ended in 1969. Right. Uh, when he got, you know, he's too busy doing uh, becoming editor in chief at Marvel and <laughs> the main writer at Marvel to do that kind of stuff, this and that here. But at this point he was going to revive it. And he said, well, would you like to do a little, uh, a little column about the, about the things you found here? So I said, oh, okay, I'll do one of those. Well, one led to two, it led to three, and uh, before you know it, I'm, I'm up to 168 or something like that yeah. columns that I've done over 25 years. I figure I've always seen it in there. I mean, uh, I've only had, I think, about five articles during that period of time, but, mm -hmm. you know, I, I tend to write for back issue, for, you know, so that, you know, that's kind of more my stomping ground, Silver Age and Bronze mm -hmm. Age and stuff, more than golden age so it's like i leave it to experts like you that know the golden age they go oh ah, ah, and learn stuff you know rather than mm -hmm. try to write an article but uh every so often roy thomas throws me a bone and says hey can you write an article about this and so mm -hmm. um i'm supposed to write one and it's on at my leisure which means i'm not doing it <laughs> <laughs> I, need to, I need to work on it. um uh is a harvey superhero article mm -hmm. that, that covers 
the golden age and the silver age versions that came out you know the later joe simon ones and everything like that so yeah you know and you know obviously i've already covered that in my book the harvey comics companion so mm-hmm. i just need to kind of embellish and update and you know, revise and blah 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 and yeah i got, got an article i just have to do it so. right that's a, that's a yeah. tricky thing yeah <laughs> Well, I'm um, impressed you got as many books as you got. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's like that's why I don't, you know, do the article. If you don't give me a deadline, it's like it really goes to the bottom of the pile. So, you know, he mm-hmm. said try to do it sometime this year. Well, this year just started, so you know, okay. you know, but I'll probably get it done. I just have a few other things to get out of the way. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, other things that I know that you've done because I've seen them because of being a Harvey fan and stuff like that is mm-hmm. uh, you've written uh, introductions or even helped compile books for ps art books and stuff like that i believe is like planet comics and airboy and things like that is that correct uh, i didn't do i don't think i don't think i did airboy but i did a couple of planet comics okay planet uh, comics then. collections okay. okay um and i think i i wrote one for chamber of chills or something like yeah, that i know you did a chamber of chills because that's you know where i mm-hmm. saw it and i probably quoted you in my harvey book too <laughs> you, oh, know, <laughs> you know in the in the horror chapter you know somewhere in there you probably see your name and i didn't even know i used it uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um how, uh, how did those come about was it just uh you finding out that the ps art books was looking for writers for their intros and things like that or um, I, I think I was trying to get a, a way to get some of the books that I could afford. So I yeah. think I suggested that yeah, maybe I could write some introductions for them. Okay. Um, and I gotten some, uh, I've already done some, uh, some introductions for, uh, the DC archives, okay. which was, you know, the big ones I had, um, uh, done an introduction for one of the issues, one of the, uh, books of, uh, plastic man collection. I did one for the spirit, which was kind of exciting, you know, to get a, mm-hmm get my foot in in there also and about you know, two three others i think something mm-hmm. um and you know at that point you know as i think you know i was already in alter ego so that gave me a certain gravitas as far as you know what i can do and i've had a lot of practice writing that kind of stuff so i can i can write some entertaining pieces of course roy has also done some of the i think he did the heap or something like they're the thing for uh ps art books too so i mean i know you're all kind of working in conjunction with them uh, sure. the, you know so um let's see so that leads us to like uh when you uh reached out to me and you wanted to do a, a trade you know mm-hmm. i mean forgive me but you know i i like the his- history stuff i mean it's like uh, I like Elric. I like Mr. Monster even more. But, you know, it's like when I said, can I have this instead? And you agreed to it. I was like, all right. You know, because <laughs> this is a heavy book. <laughs> Ugh, tops. <laughs> mm-hmm. How did this come about? I had no idea that this was this big. You know, when I was suggesting it, I just figured it was regular comic book size. Oh, uh, no, no. You know, you know but, but I knew it was a history book, even though it had reprints of the the books in it, it it had a big history about and that's what was intriguing to me so how did that come about did you have these comics i know there's only like two issues um how did you find out about i don't even know (laughs) okay well i found out about it um there was um a historian still is around bill spicer who did uh graphic story magazine back in the late 60s uh very well done uh comic history uh book and he had an article about Tops, mm-hmm. which was um, Charles Byro's 
Pratt Project. Charles Beyer was the, the guy back in the 40s and 50s who did Crime Does Not Pay comics, the original Daredevil, Boy Comics, this and that. You're very, very good writer, a very exciting writer and artist. He, he, he would write and draw these things here. Um, but he had a dream of doing comics for adults, mm. you know, going past the, the, the just the kiddie stuff. It, the stuff he was doing, like Crime Does Not Pay, was already for a, an older audience. I mean, it was really, you know, blood and guts and gore and such. Right. But he wanted to go one step beyond that and do something. Uh, this is around 1949, and he had a progressive publisher, Lev Gleason, and Lev finally said, okay, give it a try. Mm-hmm. And so they did it Life Magazine size, really yeah. big. Um, uh, they would have uh, stories for, uh, you know, lovelorn stories for the girls. They would have political stories for the guys, uh, crime stories. Um, they had some a couple of crime stories that were illustrated by... Uh, Reed Crandall, who four or five years later would do some brilliant work doing crime stories for EC, but this is before that. Right. <laughs> um, and and I had been just fascinated by this thing. I kept looking for copies of Tops uh, <laughs> for 50 frigging years. Oh. I mean, I found some, but they were so expensive I couldn't, I couldn't touch them. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle of the um, pandemic, I said, you know, I have a lot of sense some free time here. Let's see, let's, let's see if I can do something with it. <laughs> and if I can convince Fanagraphics mm-hmm. to publish a book like this, I might be able to convince a couple of collectors, you know, like Roger Hill and uh, George Hagenauer to see if they can lend me their issues so I can scan them and clean them and write mm-hmm. uh, you know, information about them and finally read the things. Right. And wonder of wonder, they, they were generous enough to do it, even though it was going to hurt their, their, their copies, but they wanted this stuff preserved. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's exactly what I did. I scanned them all, um, spent months cleaning them up, making the blacks really black, uh, uh, anything that was misregistered color-wise, I put it in there and uh, mm-hmm. wrote about 40, 50 pages of uh, background information and biographical information. There were like 50 different cartoonists and artists that were uh, writers and artists in the book. And I wanted to make sure that you were all talked about who, mm-hmm. who they were. I so guess. this is the most deluxe <laughs> book I've ever worked on. So I was really thrilled how it turned out. Fanographics uh, did just a terrific job. I guess Les Gleason was about 25 years too soon because, I mean, it's similar to like the uh, limited collector's edition or the Marvel Treasury Treasury editions or anything that came yeah. out in the 70s because those were all oversized. And, you know, they had original art in some of them, you know, original stories right. and stuff like that. Well, that was, the, I mean, that was the thing. I mean, it was just, uh, it was an oversized thing. So the newsstand didn't really know how to handle it. And it only lasted two issues. You know? Yeah collected both issues in this in full mm-hmm. color and uh this but um and did, you ask Ro- a- did you ask roger how he got his copy since he said he's, you've been searching for 50 years well i've seen copies for sale oh, okay. i just couldn't afford them. Oh, okay got he it. can <laughs> okay i don't know if i've ever even seen copies because um it's it's kind of funny unless a comic is comic book size even if it's golden age to 
present you know you usually don't see it like i've seen like that big whammo comic that's like so big right once in san diego it was probably about a dozen years ago and it's like Mm -hmm. you know of course they had all wrapped up so i couldn't open it up but i go yeah that's a big comic i don't know what to do Mm -hmm. with it so you know anyway but uh yeah so you have seen them but yeah just not at an affordable price i get it so right so now i was you know i didn't need to have, i didn't need to own the thing here i just wanted to be able to read it and study yeah. it and i finally got a chance to and it was very exciting to you know getting a chance yeah. to read these things and i know well, i appreciate of, it because you know it's like and i'll thank gary groth i'm sure he's the one you worked with since this fan of graphics and his, his son conrad groth too yeah. he was yeah. he did a great job editing because i mean sometimes they might just say eh nobody's interested in this stuff we'll take a pass and you're like uh, <laughs> you know because yeah you know, no, he, people, he went right for it Okay, because there's people out there like me, it's like, I might be the Harvey guy, but when it's ever history type stuff like this that I don't know about, I'm like, I eat it up. So it's like, I Mm -hmm. love it. So, you know. um, I mean, one of the things when when I asked Roger Hill to uh, lend me his copy, he said he would, if they agreed to do it actual full size and hardcover. Yeah. And, you know, that was what I was hoping to. And luckily they said, sure, let's do that. Yeah. And I am glad too because it surprised me when I got the thing in the mail. I go, "Oh crap, that's a big book!" I didn't, I didn't even look. I just thought, you know, I didn't even actually know that it was oversized. I just knew mm-hmm. it was a rare series, and I knew about Reed Crandall being in and a few others. And I just wanted to read the history about it, and of course, read the books themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I don't know if you got it. I'm sure you do if you're similar. Um, about a year or two back, where they did another limited collector's edition. Uh, first famous first edition and it was all new comics number one you know or more fun number one that's what it was. Oh, right. yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i'm getting my titles mixed up more fun number one and you know i just thought that was wonderful because it's like you know why stop where you stop do some more of these you know mm-hmm. i love these old reprintings of things you know because it's like you know you can never see them anymore they're either sealed in plastic or they're cost prohibitive or mm-hmm. uh, you know I, if I'd be afraid to damage something, if I was looking at original of this, you know, even if it, somebody said, like Roger said, sure, take a look at it, I'd be like, uh, nervous, you know, mm-hmm. now I can kind of just pilfer through it, just look at it at my leisure and have fun, you know. Well, I mean, that, that goes back to, you know, we were talking about the difference in uh, technology from back then. I was talking about my artwork and all this other stuff here. Yeah. Uh, but back then, um, you know, if you had the comics, you know, maybe you have a color coverless comic. This now, nowadays, I've got this huge digital collection of these incredibly rare comics that I could never afford, and it's in a thing this big. And I have you know thirty thousand copies in that, and I can access it anytime I want. It's just fantastic. And if I want to put a stack of old comics next to it, I can even have this comic book smell. You know, it's a, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm very, that's one thing I'm happy about digital. I mean, there is like websites to do public domain uh, scans and things like that. And it's like, you know, it, that actually helped me a lot when I was doing my Harvey book because sure. my problem with uh, doing Harvey history, you know, my, initially I never really covered the early golden age stuff because I never saw it, you know, and it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, slowly over time, you know, I'd see copies of pocket comics and old green hornets or something like that, but Mm -hmm. never enough to like really peruse them and and go through it where I can get a sense of what the actual history was year after year after year. So 
finally I was able to in the last decade. So, you know, mm -hmm. that's how my book came out. So, yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah. well, it's also interesting saying that um, the difference in, in the reprint material that we've seen here. I mean, I remember 30 years ago when um, DC would come out with the DC archives and, you know, the first issues of action comics and Batman and all this other stuff. And it's like, oh, ah, exciting, this and that here. Well, things have improved so much that it looks crude to me now because they, they took these things and they would re-ink re, re some of them and, yeah. Uh, the digital comics that are scanned, I, I find much better. And a lot of the, the reprints that are being done by guys like Fanographics and whatnot, um, scan the original comics, clean them up, um, and which is what I did with Tops, And it looks so much better. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, but you couldn't have pictured that 30 years ago. They didn't have, you know, scanners that, that would do this kind of stuff. Right. I go back even further on that is in the 70s, you know, they had the origins of Marvel Comics and Son of Origins and Bring on the Bad mm -hmm. Guys. And you look at them now and you go, ah, these look horrible. You know, it's uh -huh. like at the time <laughs> they were state of the art and it's like, ah, it's on nice paper and it's pristine and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, mm -hmm. they've since with, you know, future archival uh, <laughs> restorations, you know, made even better copies of mm -hmm. those comics. So, you know, it's like, yeah. anyway. I wish they would do it, you know, on other genres and stuff like that. I mean, that, that's the part, you know, because, you know, me, I, well, you don't know me that well, but it's like, I'm the funny animal guy. I like all the right. non-superhero stuff. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I, it doesn't mean I hate the superhero stuff. It just means like, I'm always intrigued about that other stuff. And I always think like, DC and Marvel, they're sitting on a gold mine. I mean, DC could do a complete run of Peter Pork Chops and you know, or something like that, but they mm -hmm. don't do it because they think it won't sell. Well, or sugar and, and spike, even yeah, more than that. Jeez. They sugar and spike, they did the one volume, and it's like, how about some more? You know, it's like there's not 98 issues, you know, you only did four issues. How about some well, more? 99 you know? issues, but they never, no, they they never did a 99 that, one. They never right. did that hundredth issue. Like, right, right. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to me. Why did you quit at that point? Well, that's another chance to do it. I'm sure that, the, you know, there's a few more scattered stories out there that didn't make it in the U.S. because didn't they appear in the, like, the little digest or something? That, you know, yeah, you know, they, they were, you know, yeah, they were some overseas yeah. that had never seen Frontier, so. Yeah. So that yeah, could be the 100th it. issue. Anyway, but, you know, all that stuff, you know, and, and Marvel, too, you know, they published... Uh, Millie the model for what 25 30 years you know oh, there's, at least. Yeah. there's never been a Millie the model collection at mm -hmm. all you know well i mean you know it's thankful that they were doing things like um uh, the horror stuff you know strange tales yeah. and whatnot yeah. um i love seeing the steve the steve ditko um um what are those colds um giant books that they did uh with his backup strips uh those little you know, yeah. science fiction back of strips mystery strips they did one with jack kirby's monster books and this and that here yeah and so that's uh, just start, love seeing you know? those <laughs> you know <laughs> and they, you know they had a few with the jungle books and mm -hmm. you know the 50s stuff but not nearly enough and again you know I, they should be scanning it i mean unless you have the actual negatives that yeah. these were printed from scan it from the comics right exactly but you know i can keep 
wishing <laughs> someday mm -hmm. all this stuff will come out hopefully but anyway um so at this point um what projects are you working on now what's coming up for you and uh, mm -hmm. uh well, as i say my my main thing at the moment is going back uh and doing the mr monster library uh okay. you know i'm gonna i want i don't like deadlines so i'm gonna put them together and get all the work done and then you know try and sell it to a publisher uh one of the nice things of being you know at an age where i'm getting social security is i do have money coming in and i can indulge myself with this and i i, I like mm -hmm. that um so i've been you know burrowing through you know boxes that go down back decades and you know trying <laughs> to get the best copies of the artwork and, and the colors and, mm -hmm. and go from there so that's that's keeping me and it's something i really enjoy and of course i keep doing the uh uh, Mr. Monsters, Comic Crypt, and Alter Ego magazine, and you know, with odd, you know, do commissions and you know, whatever odd jobs might come in here. I just never know what's what's coming up next. Mm -hmm. Any personal appearances or anything now that COVID is kind of going on the down low? Or um... yeah, um, I think I'm. Um, I think I'm just going to be coming to Philadelphia. Um, I think you know. I forget which which convention, but uh, one of those in a few months. Okay. Uh, you know, I have a Facebook page if people want to take a look. You know, I'll I'll be announcing whatever projects or places I'm going at that point. Okay. And you know, apart from the Facebook page, how do people get in contact with you if they want to do a commission or just contact you and ask you a question? Um, they can email me at uh, M Gilbert's. Uh, zero zero at comcast.net and i will answer them um we have that you know it's it, uh, a different subject i think is kind of funny that um we're talking like this because um uh, i was living in uh eugene oregon for 25 years moved back to ohio about four years ago so janet could be closer to her family etc 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 and you're in springfield um and well, i, don't I, know, I also live right next to it briefly yeah so <laughs> did, did we meet uh I, I i was in eugene i moved here in 2015 so okay um did were you here then or were you already gone um, uh, four years ago, so do the math. Um, <laughs> okay, so yeah, you were here. Um, yeah. Did you mm -hmm. did you go to the EC show that was at the Schnitzer? Yeah, I did. Mm -hmm. Okay, I helped put that together a little bit with uh, Ben. Um, okay, mm -hmm. because that was when I first moved here, and I said, um, I don't know what I can contribute, but I helped with the Cartoon Art Museum in San Francisco. I'm from California, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, I have every issue of Mad and stuff like that. I don't have much original art, but. Uh, my first four issues of Mad uh, got into the show and mm -hmm. some paperback collections and my copy of Seduction of the Innocent was on display. Oh, so, cool. so I got a little bit, uh, no original art, but, you know, I just kind of helped round out, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the items on display. So well, it's a pretty impressive little show, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I kind of wish they'd do another one, you know, but it's like, oh, well. One's better than, and I gave a talk at the end of it on Harvey Kurtzman. So that was, oh, okay. And that's on YouTube somewhere if you're well. Oh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was fun. And mm -hmm. uh, so I don't know if I, I saw you there or not. I, I went to the show about three or four times at least during that whole period of time. Yeah, likewise. There. So, yeah, you, you probably bumped into me without really pushing yeah. me aside and yeah. get a closer look at that Wallywood page over here. 
exactly. That phrase out of the page. Yeah, the page everybody wanted was that uh, weird science fantasy cover, the Rosetta mm -hmm. cover. That was like, oh, what? you know, it's like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. The holiest of holy grails. Yeah. 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 But I, I, I'm more on the silly end, so I'm like pawing the <laughs> Basil Wolverton Mad 11 cover. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so anyway, go figure. Anyway, but uh, um. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you. You know, it's kind of funny. You lived here and I, you know, now you're gone. Uh, so you're in Ohio now? Is that where you are? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, we moved back. Uh, we're living in uh, Stowe. I just bought uh, a house about four months ago. After four years of looking, uh, mm -hmm. we finally found one. And uh, it's uh, adjacent to Kent, which is where, you know, I was working with Craig. Yeah. Russell on Elric. So now yeah. come full circle here. Yeah. Interesting. You moved back to Ohio and initially you said maybe slightly hesitant to move there in the first place because he had never been there, you know, but, mm. then, but then you were starting your life over. So, you know, starting right. it over again. Life's, yeah. life's a series of that. You start over, you know, so, you know, <laughs> well, a couple of years after, May, after moving here, I met my wife, Janet. Uh, so, yeah. uh, that's cool. It, it turned out well. My career worked out, and uh, my love life worked out. So yeah, for me, I came up with a different girlfriend, and then we mm -hmm. broke up. And I, in my, I'm with my current wife now. You know, she and I were working together, but we were just friends. But then once mm -hmm. that situation ended, we got closer, and and then I, I after I got kicked out, I moved from Eugene to Springfield because it was right next door. Mm -hmm. I'm still here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I moved from Animal House to uh, the uh, Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, all right. Um, well, Michael, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you again for the Tops book. And I will recommend that anybody who is interested in comic history and old comics buy this book from Fantagraphics. And I will recommend it too. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and it's a heavy book, but, you know, oh, it's a workout here. Um, and... Uh, you know, uh, pleasure. Maybe have you on again, talk about uh, golden age history or something in the future. Okay. And um, I thank you again. And that pretty much wraps it up for another episode of the Fun Ideas Podcast. Thank you, sir. We'll see you next time. Okay. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Michael T. Gilbert, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 200. Woohoo! will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night. Mutant sex monsters rise up.